Welcome to the Business Addicts Podcast, where the stakes are high, talk is cheap, and results are on the other side of commitment. Hosted by a former addict, myself, and I'm his wife, Jamie. We uncover addicts' mindsets, showing that the talents you've created in your struggle will be the superpowers you leverage to heal your deepest wounds. Listen to former addicts share stories of how they've flipped the switch, including insights into how much we can believe in ourselves. For those of you affected by addiction, we support your desire to help the addict in your life by raising the stakes and creating emotional barriers. Hello again, and welcome back to the Business Addicts Podcast. Today, we have a privilege of interviewing a couple that, similar to Jamie and I, had pornography issue in their marriage, and they have uh, a book about this, and they also have started work with other people like we have, but in a different format, to help and really gain a lot of uh, traction around people fighting this issue. And so we're really excited to have them on the podcast and hoping that uh, we can give them some space today to tell about their journey and about their book. So with that, I'll introduce Jason and Tony Butts. Jason and Tony, why don't you tell us about yourselves and tell us a little bit about your book and what the name is, and we'll go from there. All right. Thank you so much, Kevin and Jamie, for having us on the podcast. So my name is Jason Butts. I'm here with my wife, Tony Butts. So my childhood, I was raised in a Christian home, and I praise God for that. And I was saved at the age of seven. I gave my life to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Unfortunately, at the same time, I was presented pornography from neighborhood boys at the age of seven. So I always say saved at seven and addicted at seven. I tried to live a normal life in many ways, but I had a dark secret after the age of seven because it started to consume me. All the visuals, what I had seen, what those boys had shown me in those pornographic magazines. And along the way, I ended up uh, being introduced to a demonic presence that was really starting to attach to my life. I I refer to her her as the witch, kind of a a seductress of sorts in our book. And from that point on, I rapidly increased with lusting over girls, movies, magazines, eventually getting to the point of buying pornography when I became older and viewing pornography on the internet. All the while, I developed a behavior very much consumed with chronic, chronic lying, and so that I almost became a, a Jekyll and Hyde in that sense. Again, tried to balance my life of being a Christian while loving this mistress of porn. I wanted a new life. And as I got married, I wanted a life of no porn. I just wanted it to be with my wife, Tony. And I had some victories even early in our marriage. But And even though I leaned into Jesus, I was still enslaved to porn. And here's the deal. I either didn't want to give up my enslavement to porn or I couldn't give it up because of the darkness in me and around me. And really that created a a core lie inside of me uh, that really poor, what I believe porn does to somebody, it says it creates a belief that, hey, I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it, and I'll do anything I need to to get it. And don't there better not be anybody that stands in my way. And even though I hated how I was living, and it warped me. I knew that there was more to life than this. I had tasted some freedom, but I was really in the bottom of the pit and 
thank God Jesus never left me even when I was in the bottom of the pit. So that lasted for nearly 25 years for me. All right. So Tony, can you tell us where you came from and kind of your story and how you met uh, Jason, please? Sure. So as a little girl, my heart was always for Jesus, as long as I could remember. I loved singing what I called Jesus songs, and I couldn't get enough of getting to church and learning more and being with those that were hungry for the Lord. And so then I went off to Bible college, and I met Jason actually the first day of our freshman year of Bible college. And pretty exciting, um, because within a couple of weeks, we knew this was it. And that, you know, that was good and good, great things to look forward to. And then fast forward a couple more weeks and Jason said, Tony, I need to talk with you about something. And what he wanted to do is give me the opportunity to run because he thought, you know, there's no reason that you need to stick with me through this stuff. And he just, he told me, you know, he was addicted to pornography, but the sweet innocence of my heart, and it was naive all the way. It, I just said, it won't be a problem. We have Jesus. And I literally talked like that, you know, and, and I smile now because we already have faith as a child, but oh my goodness, we would have if we could, from our older self, say to our younger self, hey, yeah, why don't you take, you know, take a break. Let's work through some things and heal. That's what we would do. But that's not the reality. That's not what happened. So we pressed forward and grew in that process, I guess. Um, didn't I didn't realize, though, how he continued to struggle along the way. And so we were growing, but I sensed um, especially after we were married a little bit, I thought there's a disconnect here and I don't, I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't know what it was per se, but we had a lot of great times, but then anger just sort of mounted in him. And then there was also something missing and I knew this wasn't right, but again, I, I didn't know what it was. It was just a lurking in the shadow. So eventually I say one of the best things I ever did and one of the hardest things I ever did was pick up the old-fashioned telephone and dial for help for from someone that I knew knew more than us. And so that's what I did. And that was really good because Scripture says that we're to confess our sins one to another, and then he's faithful and just to heal and forgive us, right? And so when when we look at that, I... I I look back and and I was vulnerable enough to say something and God said, all right, I'm going to show up. And I think we started to see a big change at that time because I, I couldn't on my own figure out what to do or where to go from here. So there were lots of great people in our lives. And then there were some that tried to be great and it wasn't the best for us. And so that was hard. And we just we just kind of pressed forward, moving forward, uh, it was just, it was a process, I guess. Like trudging our way through yeah. mud. Yeah. I, I do want to just recommend the book. And if you wouldn't mind just uh, saying the name. Back When Porn Was Fun, Freedom From The Chains. Yeah. And so, and what you've already heard from both Jason and, and Tony, I, I just want to really highlight the fact that the way you wrote this, Jason, is very vulnerable and very powerful. As I read through the first parts of the book and you can feel what you're feeling. Like you can feel that that entrapment you felt. And I maybe it's m me because I've been through the same thing, but I knew 
where you were and where you were coming from. And so, and I, I think there's a lot of insight you're giving us about the beginning and then the process. Um, I want to, as far as just, I'm going to read a little portion here. And this was uh, around the time where you started to question, well, I'll read it and then you can talk about it. As crazy as it seems, I would pray my way through ridiculous, these some of these ridiculous choices you were making. However, I would never call on Jesus during these times. His name was difficult to process in my thoughts, much less speak in these conversations. In my sin, I actually feared Jesus' ability to save me from the current temptation, thus bringing an end to my fun. What can you say about that? I, as I look back on my own life, it's like there's an attraction to what we're addicted with, and we're like completely blind in some area. I just want to call attention to that and, and just you recognizing as you're writing this how you would never call on Jesus during those times. Yeah, it's, it's really that mentality of let me get away with it one more time. God, I'm trying to be a, a good guy, or for me, I'm trying to be a, a good Christian. This really, I'm trying to believe this isn't consuming my whole life. So just this one more time, one more time becomes a hundred more times and sneakier ways of, you know, evolving into how do I get away with it and what do I do? And so, yeah, it, it would, really, you could see the mind games, the battle going on in my head and really, it's diabolical to know that I knew what the truth was and that Jesus could set me free, but I could not even process his name. And we have experienced that with couples that we've worked with where they need some kind of deliverance or being freed from something that's captivating them in their lives. And his name can be very difficult to process. Well, it's because it's the one name that all of the enemy doesn't want you to utter. It's the one name that has all authority in the entire universe for all of eternity. And so, yeah, why not make it difficult? And again, just, you know, I'd have that, the screaming, raging within my head, non-audible, but of the enemy trying to really drag me down and just go for it, just go for it, keep doing it, do it, you want this, you want this. And the still small voice of Jesus, no, you don't want this, nope, you you want to turn around, turn around now, you're heading towards danger. And so, again, really diabolical how the, the whole scene would unfold. And I remember even decades later now, blazing a trail down a highway to go to a porn shop to get something and just battling with these thoughts the entire time. And yet my body, almost like a zombie, just going in, making the purchase, coming out and going, well, now I'm in deep. Now I'm in deep already. Now I better do something with the material. And so, yeah, that's, it's sick, but that's, those are the rules of hell. Very sick and um, without boundaries. I appreciate you sharing that, Jason. And I can't speak um, for Kevin in that, but I just know what I felt. And I really want to kind of um, bring us back even to Tony, something that you said about, the feeling that you had. And I, I had a similar story in that, you know, I was naive. I didn't know that it was going to continue into the marriage as long as it did. And I didn't know and understand the level of um, pull, you know, like what you're saying today, Jason is huge. I had no idea that that was the, the level of 
um, what we were dealing with. And Tony, to go back to the comment that you had kind of made and really think about um, intuition and what we know that we don't know, like trusting and learning to trust our intuition, were there times that, like I remember just literally getting to a place of being like something isn't right with your energy. And today, you know, he would get away with less and less because I trust my intuition so much more than I did in the beginning. How did that kind of connect for you? Sure. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I think, you know, something to be said about life experience even helps you grow in intuition, right? And so you were younger, I was younger, you know, there was some of that, some of, uh, just not being aware. I don't think things were talked about as much back then. And so I, for me, yeah, I, I don't think he'd get away with as much anymore either, but, but it was real. He did. He did. And I just knew there was something not right. But what it did was good in me in that it caused me to go to a place with the Lord that I could have never I probably would have never gone to, in all honesty, had I had everything peaches and roses in my life. Mm, you know, I feel that. I yeah, feel that. you know, because uh, if I could, I'll just say a couple of things that really made a difference. You know, the Lord was a lamp on our feet and a light on our path through it all, and and you know, not blazing the trail way ahead. And this is what it's going to look like next year. But for today, you know, give us this day our daily bread. For today, what does that look like? Well, you know, a friend said, here's a book. And she just showed up at my door with the power of a praying wife. And I remember one statement out of there and it was, are you more interested in doing right or being right? And for me, that was a sock in the gut and tears falling down my face going, it's, you know, I'm going to do this for the team and I'm going to do this for the sake of the Lord and for my future family. Because this was before we had kids. And I remember just going, I have to decide what matters. Sure, I have every biblical ground, you could say, to say, I'm done. But the Lord wasn't calling me to that. He was saying, Tony, stick through this and dive in deep with me. And so, you know, that book was good. And then the Lord led me to another book by the same author, Power of a Praying Parent. And and that seemed so funny to me that I was to read that because I thought, well, how is that going to help? But the Lord used that to actually help me pray for Jason, because if you're not familiar with the book, she's got prayers at the end of each chapter. And in the midst, of, you know, how many of us in the midst of our heartache, can we not even form a sentence that's cohesive? You know, it just, co- a coherent sentence seems almost impossible. And so her prayers, which were packed with scripture, and we know Isaiah says that that God's word doesn't return empty. So when we pray that word, we can trust that there's something about that that's going to make a difference for eternity and, and, you know, shape things. And so praying those scriptures over him, even though he wasn't my son, I just put his name in there and I watched places that were broken in him, that were childlike in him, just begin to change. And, and so I had to remove my 
pain per se and just know that God was going to take care of that so that I could hold Jason's arm up per se. That's amazing. And it speaks to, oh, there's just a couple of things that come to mind there. One that I've learned through coaching is sometimes we have to be the parent that our, that we want our parents to be. You know, sometimes um, moving beyond what we saw as kids, you know, requires us becoming that person that we wanted to see them be. And basically what you're saying is that you ended up doing that for your spouse. And we don't want to be in that position. Um, I remember, I really believed that the Lord had put Kevin and I together. And so a couple years into our marriage, when it was still an issue, it was just this prayer, just this sobbing prayer of, Lord, you got me into this. Please help me through this. And and then in the end, it required me committing to working through this. Like I, I turned to Kevin a couple years in and said, like we said, I didn't know that it would last this long. Yeah. And so I turned to him and I said, I'm committed to this marriage no matter what you put us through. And not saying that I was perfect. I was obviously operating as an enabler and I didn't even know it. Um, but having this level of addiction, um, we didn't know what addiction does to the brain, you know, and how it impacts his ability to make decisions. So when you speak about the things that helped you, you know, there were a few people along the way that introduced some ideas that were things I hadn't heard before and, um, just really being committed to working through it. And I hear that that's really what you basically turned on when you decided to pray for him in a new way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think that's really great what you did. I think that's what it takes for any of us because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so standing beside someone is what we're called to do. And in marriage, all the more, you know, I was created to be his helpmeet. So I have a choice. Am I going to commit to that or am I going to do my own thing? Uh, In that example, you ladies stood it up and stood for the marriage. Flip side, the guys needed to make a decision. Were we going to break this down? Were we going to get rid of it? We can decide, do we want to be healed and healthy or do we want to stay enslaved to this? And so hearing what both of you ladies had shared, what you went through, you stood up and you said, I'm in this to win it. Are you? And, uh, you know, so Kevin and I, yeah, we made our decisions. Uh, Unfortunately, many don't make that decision. And I believe that these two couples are sitting here having this conversation because we want more couples to have the victory and to come out of that pit. Absolutely. Jason, can you speak to that a little bit when you saw that Tony wasn't giving up on you and really recognizing what was going on? What were some of the thoughts that you were having? And were there moments that you considered giving it up? What what did it feel like? Well, I think reflecting back to earlier question I answered about the mind games and the, the battle, the stronghold within my mind to even go do something I knew I shouldn't be doing. Um, you know, there very much was that thought of, oh, she's she's going to stick through this. I guess it's not that bad. The enemy helped me poo-poo it. And I failed time and time again. But there was more grit that came out of it as well. And that's really where Holy Spirit came in, in a real relationship with Jesus was just 
raw, relational, and and real, where he did not give up with me. Did, he didn't give up on me in the bottom of the pit. And it was, do you really want to stay here? Fight out of this. She's not going away. She's praying for you. She's working to be one with you. Get out of here. I'll show you how to get out of here. But, you know, you got to have some skin in the game. You know, it's not, ah, bing, I'm out of the pit. It's had to kick, crawl, scream, fight, punch, whatever. I had to put God's word into my heart and into my mind and flush it out beyond just a religion per se. It had to be real. It had to be a relationship. He he was my friend. I had to trust him. And then I had to look at my wife and eventually my sons and say, I don't want to remain here. I'll be 70, 80 years old and I'll still be looking at this stuff. And my entire life will be gone and I'll have no years left to recover it because I will have not beat it. So if I beat it in my 30s, better than it being in my 60s or 70s. Let's get this thing done. And we've seen God be able to really restore the years the locusts had stolen and make it so sweet. But you know, again, really, there's skin in the game. There's some, A man has to make a decision. And so for me, um, I needed to know that my relationship with him was real. I needed to hear his voice. I needed to talk with him. I needed to do a lot more listening and get into his word and flesh it out. And back then, I think we all remember this time frame several decades ago, people didn't talk about this stuff. And to this day, people still feel alone. They come out a little bit more these days, but back then nobody talked about it, hardly ever. And so there was a tendency to feel alone and that made the battle even more difficult. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because in some ways people might say, well, if we just, if we talk about it, then it's going to seem like it's normal and we're normalizing uh, the conversation like, oh, maybe this is just, you know, normal. But what we want to normalize is that it's okay to change and it's okay to make the commitment that it's going to be like an Olympic level uh, feat, you know, but we can all be Olympians in our own way, (laughs) just... Um, coming out of it. So there was something that you said um, about that made me think about external validation. When we don't feel that we have value, we look for external validation. And what you're saying, Jason, is that by Tony staying in a way, it validated this thought that you're okay, which was really the opposite of what Tony was wanting to communicate. And the same thing, I know Kevin and I had a similar experience. So I want to kind of shine a light on that, that just because women are staying does not mean that we are validating that it's okay. But as an enabler, I found out that that's what I was doing or that's what Kevin was taking from it. And I had to say to him, I'm staying and this isn't okay. Like clearly call it out. And so this thought of, I've heard this said before when someone does struggle with an addiction issue, and honestly, I'm not even sure if it matters what issue, there's this idea that they just need a woman. Like if they're single and they're looking um, you know, to potentially be with somebody else, sort of like that will solve the problem. And in some ways, what you're saying and what we're saying is that it, it was powerful to be able to work on this together, to be able to pray together. Um, but what would you say to somebody that says that? 
Well, first off, what we say to young men is you will not, it will not go away once you're married. Once you taste the real deal of intimacy, if you haven't tasted it already, porn still won't go away. It has to be removed completely from your life before you go there. We would also utter the same words to young women who are going to enter into a marriage. If that man, let's say it's a man uh, in particular, is addicted to porn, you should probably run uh, because it's not wise nor fair that a young lady should enter into a marriage like that. Now, we understand that women can have the same addictions, but in general, we'll just speak in that way uh, for men. We tell young ladies, run, and we tell guys, you got to get rid of it because it will not die off just because you're married now. Yeah, and I'd say, you know, the scripture, blessed are the pure in heart, for they they will see God, Matthew 5, 8. You know, purity means free of contamination. So, you know, that includes the motives and the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. And so if there's anything that we think we need other than Jesus to satisfy, it's going to fall short every time. People will fail us. Things will fail us. Lives will fail us. Relationships, you know, jobs, whatever it is, at some point in some way, something's going to fail us. And so to recognize that and realize we live in a fallen world, but that we're to seek purity in a heart, that's what matters. Then I think we go back to looking at, well, how do we, how do we get pure? Well, we need to confess and we need to repent and we need to get right with God surrounding ourselves with goodness so that we can't let things leach in as easily because, you know, the devil gets a foothold then. And so I'd say address it from the, from the root. And that's that purity of heart. And it really is about motives, not just what looks good on the outside, because, you know, we can do a lot of things that look good on the outside, but on the inside, there's a lot of impurity and God's looking to address that. Mm. And we would say the fight for purity is of utmost importance. Fighting to remain sexually pure in body, soul, and spirit before God is critical and deeply interwoven as one flesh with our spouse. It's paramount, which means no window shopping, no times of escape with porn. There's no time for a good fantasy to check out with. You really have to ask the question, I mean, we all have dysfunction. But how much do we want to tolerate? It's something that we really discuss with a lot of individuals in regards to porn in itself. Now, you could, you could label it any addiction, but we call it the porn tree, the unbeatable porn tree, because sadly, let's admit it, in Christianity alone, porn is deemed as unbeatable in so many circles. And yet we would disagree with that. Mm-hmm. And the only way to deal with the porn tree. If you're looking at, let's say, a very large tree, we can pluck away at the leaves up top and the branches, prune some of it away. And that may be, you know, some of the good tactics like bounce your eyes. Don't take a second look at a lady. Or if you you hear high heels walking by, you know, you know what legs are in it. Don't look. Don't take technology into bathrooms or bedrooms. Don't let young men have televisions in their bedrooms. There's all sorts of that. Have covenant eyes, Uh, you know, other safety devices. But in the end, that's not attacking the root. And the only way to topple the tree 
is to get to the root issue. Thus, it means porn really isn't the issue. There's some other kind of core lie or a stronghold or drama or traumatic issues that has happened in somebody's life that has developed this so that porn can come into their life and really consume them. Because we can pluck away at those leaves all day long and that tree's never going to come down. So we have to attack the root and disable the entire tree. And you said, Jason, many times over that if you knew what you know now, years ago, you would not have struggled year after year because you were given tools just to pluck at those leaves on that big tree. And that's all you knew. Right. And but by by God's grace, because the Lord does speak to his kids. He loves to speak to his kids, you know, and so he just showed us layer upon layer. And it wasn't easy. It was, ooh, we have another layer here. We're this much healed. Thought we were all the way healed. There's another onion layer, you know, and, and but then the Lord would show us things that this needed to switch. Oh, this is a way to look at things. And Wow, it made a difference. And so if even if we went through all this yuck so that others may walk in freedom, we have said over and again, it's worth it for the kingdom of God. As great as tools are, and we need them, if that's what we rely on, I believe the enemy mocks that effort because it's not getting to the core, the motives of why somebody continually goes back to do something. Every individual I meet with, they're doing something they utterly hate. And when they can't stop it, that means it's far more than just some kind of tools that they can implement into their life. It is something spiritual, and it is a broken heart and a disabled mind that has to be rewired by the power of God. Mm, I love everything that you're sharing with us. And... um when you talk about the layers of onion, I felt as Kevin and I were going through this, that there would be moments of freedom or moments of like, oh, this is what it could be like. And I remember saying, you know, even if all I got was this one week, it was still worth it. And I don't know, you know, how Kevin felt about that um, specifically, but I think it, every once in a while, even though there's a new layer, every once in a while you get a glimpse of what freedom can be like along the journey. And then you're like, okay, it's worth it. Let's do this again and go through another layer. So when you guys were going through the healing, I mean, I know what our process looked like. It was bumpy. Um, and we didn't understand the level of childhood trauma and just even um, like, it, it doesn't even have to be a huge big T trauma. It could be neglect or something that we've taken personally that really wasn't intended you know, to hurt us. What are some of the things that you guys found to help with the healing side? Well, I think, you know, I just think reading scripture, because God's word is living and alive and active and it cuts as a two-edged sword separating joint from marrow, I really think that there's there was a time where scripture would just leap off the page and all of a sudden something made sense, you know, that didn't before. I think of when we took ballroom dance class because we thought we were at a good place in our marriage and this was going to be fun. And we had, we were out of what we thought was dysfunction for a while, but then there's this new layer. And so we take ballroom dance and it's all 
nonverbal communication to make it beautiful. Woo! <laughs> the first three weeks, we didn't know if we liked each other anymore. <laughs> you know, we went in all excited. And then it was, well, you're not leading well. Well, you're not following well. You know, and so we decided, oh, well, the strategy would be we'd talk to our instructor. And honestly, the things that we learned from her were just little tweaks on ballroom dance, but the Lord used those things to teach us how to work with each other. You know, it was it was just in the little things of life, choosing to put one foot in front of the other instead of hunker down and ignore each other and go the opposite direction. Because I think the enemy of our souls loves to isolate. And when, when we isolate, he wins, right? So we when we choose to keep moving forward together and have conversation, even though it's hard, then the Lord starts to make in ways in our lives and bring healing that otherwise might not be. And that dance, the beauty of it was that we were learning to dance in the ways that best fit each other. I'm curious if Jason, if you mentioned the the difference in the real deal with intimacy versus um, the images. Mm-hmm. Is that something that, I guess, again, kind of that idea that they're really not connected. They're really two totally different things. Is that something that you experienced? Yes, I would agree. Uh, you know, masturbation being something that is really a false sexual experience. And when it's layered with pornographic visuals or whatever kind of experience it it really it's dark and it completely distorts things when we look at uh version the word version the word version really that's original when we add it change it to perversion it's a perverted version of the real deal the original and that's why Porn and other forms of sexual addiction really are a perversion. They, they are distorted from the real deal. And that's what the enemy comes to do. Kill, steal, destroy. It's really obvious. He's not coming to make friends. He's not coming to be, you know, to just help you along or bless you in some way. Ultimately, it's to bring you to your own demise. And so if he can do that, even through distorting what God created as good, to be fruitful and multiply and become one flesh with your spouse, he's going to do that. And what we see is that sex really becomes the crux of nearly all destruction of civilizations, of ministries, churches, families, you name it. It's absolutely, it's really crazy and quite silly if you think about it, childish, that that's what actually brings destruction to people more than anything else. First John 2.16 reminds us that everything in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, they don't come from the Father. They come from the world. Because what the Father created and what he has endowed for us as husbands and wives to experience with one another, that's amazing and epic. It's always a ripped-off version that's presented to people as if it's better than the real deal. That's really interesting because even in the book, um, that's well-known maybe in successful, you could say successful circles, is this book, Think and Grow Rich. Mm -hmm. And there is a chapter uh, dedicated to the energy. I don't remember exactly how it's worded or anything, but just to know that being in the wrong headspace around this stuff is actually affecting and impacting so many layers and areas of life that it's even in a 
you know, Think and Grow Rich book. Yes, that that is amazing. So I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about the ministry that you've been doing and the impact that you're looking to make. Yes. So really, we out of our mess comes a message. And part of that is the book back when porn was fun, Freedom from the Chains. And we operate a ministry called Forge a Legacy, where if we put it in a box, it's really about marriage and family ministry. We do a lot of redemptive work, a lot of um, one-on-one or whole family counseling, coaching. We also love to do preventative work where we go speak in front of people, do various teachings, provide resources. And we're really starting to move more into that as that's our passion. We do, of course, work with individuals uh, one-on-one and we don't primarily focus on uh, pornography. It's interesting. That's probably less than 25% of the counseling and coaching that we are involved in. And uh, But when it's there, unfortunately, like you guys, we are experts in this area. So God's going to use us if we're faithful to step up and keep talking about it. And then God just has continued to open doors. We launched into full-time ministry as missionaries, actually, just about six months ago. And we knew uh, that we were called to do this. We knew that more and more people were reaching out. People that have... uh, no church, they've become disenfranchised with church. Um, people that uh, pastors are saying, you know, seminary didn't train me for this. And so they're sending people our way or, um, you know, even missionaries are coming our way. And we are seeing God move mountains. Yes. Absolutely. A lot of times, literally overnight, as we get to that root issue and the tree topples. And so... It's our joy to work with people redemptively like that because we want to see families flourish. You know, we work, whether we go into homes and we work with the whole family, uh, sometimes it's it's with individual kids. We're spending a lot of time with teens and young adults. In fact, one of our dear prayer warriors who has seen us through from the beginning years ago when the Lord was starting to work on our heart about all this said, I didn't realize you would be at youth pastors too. <laughs> we said, we didn't know that either. But um, what we're finding is a lot of people are not, no matter their age, they're not going to their pastors for help. So the young people that are coming to us are, are hungry for, maybe they're recognizing they don't have a clue what they're doing in their life or what they're good at or, you know, how to walk forward in their destiny. And so no matter the age, whether you're five and, you know, we've had some beautiful opportunities with little ones, uh, whether, and we've actually had some really great conversations even in recent weeks with 90-year-olds and 91-year-olds, you know, and just the, when, when people are hungry, God does big things. And so we just want to help people grow to become all they were created to be and not anything shy, you know, being out of the box and not stuck in, you know, religion is really box-like and you do this, this, and this while it kind of leads to death. It's just blah and icky leads to, you know, kind of that maybe an open door for the enemy to, to have his way because it's just 
it's not fulfilling. But the you know, Jesus said he came to give life and life to the full. So that fullness is where we want to really uh, dive into and help people get to that place and and just walk in that freedom. Because freedom's really funny. As soon as we think we have freedom, there's always more to be had, you know, until the day we die and the day we meet Jesus. And that's our heartbeat is just to help people grow in that. In our ministry, we love to help people understand a perspective shift so that they can look down on their problems, look down upon the giants in their life. And scriptures that come to mind are Ephesians 2, 6, where we are seated in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus, and Romans eight seventeen that we are co-heirs with Christ. What God did by having Jesus die on the cross for us, he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. That's Colossians 2.15. And so it reminds us that we can follow our king through the battle. And that's what we desire to do through Forge a Legacy is to be led by Holy Spirit and be open vessels, just a conduit of his goodness, his truth. And we find ourselves more often than not saying to people, regardless if it is a porn addiction or strife in marriage or child rearing issues, you're not alone. That statement gets people to go, oh my gosh, now they'll be vulnerable. They'll explain more of what's going on in their life and we can help them more. And when that happens, the devil loses ground and traction for the kingdom of God happens. And it's a beautiful thing. How do you engage with churches? What what are you doing with them alongside pastor groups? Can you give us a feel and give other pastors a, a feel as to how you work with them? Um, really just talking about what the ministry is that God has given us and how it can benefit their congregation and their people. Oftentimes, uh, pastors are overtaxed Mm -hmm. because of the sizes of their congregations. And it really doesn't matter if they have 50 people in their church or 500. They can end up being overwhelmed by scenarios that either they haven't had experience with or just time constraints and other responsibilities. And so we come alongside to help pastors and not only to help them with the people in their congregation, but to strengthen the pastors themselves. We've been blessed with many opportunities to work with pastors and their families. And that's where you really get a a one-two punch. Because if you're helping a pastor, you're going to help a plethora of individuals. We're willing to come to churches and conferences and camps and and walk beside, you know, setting up, what do you need? What do your people need? We have done some uh, conferences uh, at camps and and just having some small opportunities to speak at you know different events and really on marriage and family hearing God's voice you know when we walk in understanding that God's kids can hear his voice there is an authority that comes with that and and moving forward effectively is just a beautiful thing, you know, and, and when little ones and older people alike can grasp that, that's good. So we, we do some activities sometimes with groups to help them walk in that and then learn scripturally, of course, to how that all plays out. Uh, we will be doing a, our first full weekend conference coming up this fall in Muscatine, Iowa. And that's exciting. What we're hearing people say is, you know, I really needed that. 
that helped me recalibrate. Lives are just busy and sometimes we just go and we don't stop and reevaluate. And that's where the enemy of our souls can just creep in. And so we love to help people sort of just step back and recalibrate. And so we like to, you know, offer um, our story, what people can learn from that, a time to heal, a time to talk about family, a time to talk about marriages and have fun together. And how does that look? And then how to live according to what scripture says, because we really believe that if we, if we actually live out the principles of God's word and not just read it for what it is, but like live it out and do what Jesus did, you know, lives are changed when we do what Jesus did. And the power of prayer in that to pray unceasingly. Yeah. And that's, we love praying with people and we believe that we believe that more is done in prayer and worship than can be done in man's striving. A minute with God, more than 10 years of what a man can try to accomplish. We've seen it time and time again, and we love to bolster the faith of people to get back to understanding that's a real relationship with Jesus. So when you're deeply, intimately connected with him in that way. I did notice that there was a lot of areas in your book where you you talked about your story, but then you brought in the scripture. And I really appreciated that. Like, there's so much scripture that can be connected with healing and with growth and with believing, just believing that Jesus can help us uh, is a is a really big step, right? And surrendering, uh, there's one part of the book where you say surrender is a concept many are fearful about. That's so true. But if we think about scripture and what it tells us to do and and the benefits it highlights, you know, it's just so powerful to do that. Why would, why are we afraid of it? You know? Um, but yes, that that's, that's such a good thing. I, I'm glad to hear that you're impacting others with that same belief and that uh, same benefit. And Kevin, it's interesting how the enemy uses surrender. Now there's God's word that talks about surrendering and that's the good thing, but the enemy uses it to say, Hey, surrender to this temptation. And then we become gun shy about surrendering to God because we understand that surrender means trouble in our lives. And oftentimes we have to remind people of a basic biblical principle is that temptation is not sin. Giving into the temptation, that's where sin and death get produced. But temptation is not sin. So when we talk with somebody, I often say, let's describe struggle because a lot of times people use, I'm struggling. Well, what does that mean? And I used to believe that it was, oh, that's just a term to describe your failing. Struggle is just a nice Christianese way to pad that. But in working with individuals over time, I've come to a broader understanding that struggling really can have different definitions for people. And to that, so I feel that we have to figure out what does struggling mean to each individual so that you can speak into their lives and help them see that Jesus used scripture to beat temptation. And just because you're tempted doesn't mean you're struggling. That's completely different than failure on the other side of giving in. Yeah, that's really neat. So it's interesting, you know, thinking about our subconscious mind that it can play that kind of tricks on us. Like the word surrender, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's not good because of the safety factor of giving into temptation. Um, but at the same time, complete surrender to Christ is is so safe, right? It makes sense to really work through that with people and get an understanding of where that's coming from and and 
definitely tell them the truth, right? The the truth that a complete surrender is uh, is a beautiful thing that is very safe. And on the other side of that is victory. We Amen. agree. Amen. Mm-hmm. Well, we thank you very much for your time on the podcast today. Well, thank you for your invite. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. And to stay in touch, email us at info at businessaddictspodcast.com.